This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Maximus Hunter. And I'm Ren Wadsworth, and we have a jam-packed show for you guys today. So we're going to kick it off with some local news by me, and then we have some guests in the studio from Aspen Grill, and we wanted to reach out to our listeners and ask if you had ever heard of the Aspen Grill. And if you've eaten there, what was your experience? Yeah. Uh, We've got Professor Josh Olson in the studio. He uh, teaches the classes and runs the Aspen Grill. So that's going to be, we're going to be talking to them shortly. We're going to have a roundtable about a... um, new tax that was passed uh, this last election that'll actually raise uh, wages for school teachers. Yeah, and we're just going to talk about how Fort Collins is actually taking the initiative to just make a better school environment in general in the Poudre Valley District. Uh, after that, we're going to be taking a phone call from Tom Miles at the uh, with the Artisan Fair and Bazaar run by the Lutheran Church here in town, and uh, that's the Fair and Bazaar. They're selling some pretty interesting stuff from all around the world, so we're going to be asking him about that. Um, after that, we're going to do some campus news with me and a, uh, if we have time, a roundtable about, about what possibly could have been in the Star Wars universe, but we unfortunately didn't get to see. Yes, uh, it's about Carrie Fisher. We don't want to give away any spoilers in case we don't have time for it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a cool one. So uh, we're going to get started with all of that. But first, let's jump in to local news with Ren. All righty. So Fort Collins City Council has approved new zoning for the land where Hughes Stadium used to reside. Some Fort Collins residents have called this plot of land the city's crown jewel, and now the area is up for grabs. The approximate 165 acres of land have attracted due to its proximity in Fort Collins as well as its rich history. Council members voted 4-3 to to split the land in an attempt to encourage more development on the eastern side while preserving a buffer between the foothills and the new homes in the west. Planners said dividing up the land into different zoning classifications would balance the community's need for more housing with a strong desire from residents to preserve open space. City staff also believe that the new zone will allow for 550 new homes to be built. Now that Halloween is officially over, some might argue that Christmas is just around the corner. But for this candy shop, the holidays are year-round. The Colorado Candy Company suggests it might be time to throw out that candy corn in exchange for some candy canes. Owner John Buccini said it doesn't matter what time of year it is, if we're making ribbon candy, there's Christmas music playing. Buccini said that the company makes a couple thousand pounds of candy a week. The main focus is to bring customers back to a simpler time when their candy and their sh- with their candy and their shop. When people come in, they smell that sh- smell of sugar cooking and they get a fresh sample right off the table Buccini said again that nostalgic reaction ribbon candy is the shop's specialty and they even use a crimping machine from from 1800 to use however the shop also sells other hard candies cotton candy and peanut brittle we do what we call brittle crackle so it's peanut brittle over rice crispy cereal and it just falls apart in your mouth their flavors are always evolving from blueberry Colorado to more traditional cinnamon. That peppermint in the air, he said, it's like one of the best parts of my day. But the memories their candy creates, Puccini hopes, last forever. Being able to bring tears to someone's eye while also bringing them joy, that's what we look for. That's why we make candy. The Fort Collins Museum of Discovery is set to premiere its display that features video games of the past, future, and present. The installation is called Game Changers, and it encourages a hands-on interaction and education through the exhibit. The display also studies the evolution of technology and games throughout the decades. While the display offers many opportunities for learning, the main mission is fun. 
The exhibit encourages competition and exploration, and visitors can learn about more than 120 games of the past, present, and future while being able to play 16 of them. The traveling exhibit will pass through the United States and Canada, but will be, but will be residing in Fort Collins until January 12th. If you are interested in visiting the exhibit or purchasing tickets, you can find more information at fcmod.org slash gamechangers. Once again, that email address is going to be fcmod.org slash gamechangers. And that is all the local news I have for you today. Thank you so much, Ren. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with uh, Professor Josh Olson and Marina from Aspen Grill. Uh, once again, though, we would love, uh, if you've been to Aspen Grill, if you would tell us about your experience. Uh, you can text us in, at 970 491 5278. That's 970-491-KCSU. And we'd love to hear about your experiences at the Aspen Grill, so let us know. Uh, we'll be right back after the break. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. My name is Maximus Hunter. And I'm Ren Wadsworth, and we just heard some local news by me, and now we are joined in studio by some guests from the Aspen Grill, if you'd like to introduce yourselves. Hi, uh, my name is Josh Olson, and uh, I'm a professor um, and instructor for the Aspen Grill. And my name is Marina Judkins, I'm a hospitality management major, and um, I'm a student taking the Aspen Grill class right now. Wonderful, thank you so much for coming to the studio today. So, um, my first question is, what is the Aspen Grill? Is it a restaurant or a classroom? So it is both. Um, it is literally 50-50 um, a restaurant, a business open to the public, um, but also a functioning classroom um, where you are watching students literally learn in action. So it's pretty cool. All right, and I think the most important question for any restaurant is what is on the menu? There's so much good stuff on the menu. Uh, there's, there's Josh, and then there's um, Ken, who's like the chef, like kind of the professor for the back of the house, for the kitchen, because everybody in the class gets to rotate through like a different position every week, including in the kitchen. And he told us that he kind of inspired the menu to be like a nice, healthy place to eat on campus for professor, like students and faculty to come eat during the day and then not feel like really tired after. Um, some of the most popular items I'd say is like salmon poke. Which is oh, pretty yum. so good. Uh, it's like fresh raw salmon, a bunch of yummy vegetables and rice. That sounds um, awesome. A bunch of good sandwiches, a bunch of good appetizers. So uh, you touched on something I was kind of curious about. So how do you come up with the menu? Is it for educational purposes? Is it uh, items that are good to teach to cook? Or is it for, for the people who eat it? Yeah, I would say it's a combination of those things. Um, you know, Ken and I um, are constantly working on the menu. We try to um, keep it fresh every semester. And... And like you said, um, we try to have items that um, teach a variety of cooking skills, um, presentation skills, and things like that. Um, and we're always listening to our students, too, on things that um, they like, and obviously our customers. And we just kind of build it off of that and try to keep it um, up to date. Could you give us a few examples of uh, some items that are good for students to learn to cook? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on one maybe, and then maybe Maria can touch <laughs> on one too, because she's actually been doing it this semester. Um, but obviously, you know, we um, we have burgers, we have um, the salmon poke that she mentioned. Um, we cook items off of our um, you know our saute station, so you know it's it's a combination of 
grilling, sauteing, um, plating salads, you know, uh, making sure we're hitting temperatures right, but maybe you can yeah. say a couple items. Yeah, the first position I did was working at the fryer, and I've never worked at a fryer before, <laughs> so it was like, uh, I fried like potato chips, french fries, for all the orders that came with french fries, um, we do like a, um, a bunch of different fried appetizers, you like fried Brussels sprouts, and you like toss mm. them in a bunch of ingredients after that. And that's one of the positions. And the other one is grill, which like is really important in like getting the char marks on the burger, learning how to Ooh. like learn when it's time to flip it, and like learning to temp it, which temperature to go to. You're speaking um, my language. I had a yeah. I had a show last year where I, uh, I did like a 15 minute expose on a bunch of different burger restaurants and how they make their burgers. I think that stuff's Did so they interesting. Mostly make them the same way. Or no, they, they all made them in very different ways. Actually, uh, never ask the people at Mojo's how they make their burgers <laughs> because uh, they'll change the subject. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> um, so, if students wanted to eat your guys' food, when could they come? Like, when are you guys open? We have we're open Tuesday through Friday from eleven to one. So one class is on Wednesday and Friday, and one class is on Tuesday and Thursday. And can anyone come either? Yep, anyone can come in. We encourage people to make reservations, but you can walk in as well. Yeah, awesome. we heard that it was pretty high in demand. Why do you think it's so high in demand? I think a lot more people are learning about it this semester. I think that's from my understanding. Um, apparently, I'm just working there during classes. I've heard it's busier than it usually has been, right, Josh? Yeah, it's it's been a very busy semester for us, and uh, most of it is just kind of word of mouth. Um, I think we've been around long enough now where um, a lot of people know about us around campus, and our um, reservation system, like y'all mentioned, reservations de definitely are recommended, so check us out. We're on Open Table, um, and you, you can also find us on uh, the Lori Student Center website, but yeah, it's just word's kind of gotten out, and we're proud of what we do, and we just hope that word of mouth kind of catches on. That's cool to hear. I heard about you for the first time this semester, and I've been here for three years, so. Yeah, me as well. It's definitely spreading. Um, so do you guys uh, host uh, events? Um, not specifically. Uh, we're more focused just on kind of our daily um, Tuesday through Friday operation that we do with our students. Um, most of our events um, in the student center are done through our catering department, but occasionally we might do a, a special thing here and there, but Fairly rare, I would say. Gotcha. So let's talk about the uh, the classes, the programs. So what? So you have you said you have the two different times. Uh, what are those programs? Those uh, general culinary programs? Are they for any students? Are they for specifically culinary or hospitality students? Yeah, the two classes um, that Marina mentioned. So what she was talking about is we have a Tuesday Thursday um, class that literally runs the restaurant, and then also a Wednesday Friday class that runs the restaurant. Um, so the staff on Tuesday is completely different than on Wednesday. Um, and as far as the culinary um, side of it, um, yeah, we're, we're not necessarily a culinary um, program. Um, we try to incorporate as much as that as we possibly can. Um, and we offer students to come back and take the class again as a sous chef where they learn everything that our um, head chef knows. But um, yeah, if that answers that question. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it focuses more on just learning like every what every yes. single position is like in a restaurant. Um, it's, it's all hospitality yeah. majors, right? Exactly. You can't so. really learn ex what everyone does in a restaurant until you do it. Um, you can't just you know get the hospitality degree and go into be a restaurant manager if you've never worked um, like every position in the kitchen. Yeah. It just helps you understand everything as a whole. We really focus on, um, we want them to learn these positions to kind of empathize because it's hard to do these these jobs, and it, it will make them better uh, managers down the road. So that's really the goal of the class. 
So is this class only for hospitality majors or can other majors take the class? Um, it is open to all majors, um, yeah. Um, it, I would say 99% of the students that take the class are hospitality management majors because um, it's required for them, um, but it is open to other majors. So um, restaurant management is a skill that students take away from this. What other kind of skills do you think students take away from working at the Aspen Grill? I'll touch on that and maybe you could touch on it, Marina. Uh, but I would just say um, it's honestly, our goal is is leadership um, and teamwork. Like those are the two biggest things. Like we're not trying to create professional cooks, professional servers. Um, um, those are important skills, but it's more about how do you work as a team? How do you solve problems? And um, eventually like how do you lead and how do you see the big picture? So that's. Yeah, exactly. At first, just like just the exposure to the restaurant like um, environment, I guess, at first, and then teamwork too, especially because it's not like um, a job where like maybe you might not get to know the people that you work with. It kind of encourages you to get to know everyone that you work with because you're all students and you have classes with the same people. Like I have like three classes where half the Aspen Girl class is in the other class too. So it's kind of like networking also so you get to know people in your major, the small major in general. So it's a big part of it too. So that ties right into my next question. Uh, what do students go on to do after working the Aspen Grill? Yeah, a whole bunch of things. Uh, um, I would say a lot of our students go into hotels. That's, um, I, would, I would guess that's uh, the main area where our students go. Um, some go restaurants. Um, event planning um, is a thing. Um, and some students, you know, don't do anything to do, you know, don't go on to, uh, you know, necessarily hospitality management jobs, but things related to business. Um, business is a big part of what we teach. We, you know, the, the business minor that goes along with a degree is, is very important, I think. And I always encourage students to pursue that. So it's a variety of things, um, but, you know, hotels, event planning, restaurants are the main things. Yeah, it, uh, everyone loves, like, everyone loves the class, but not everyone, you can learn, um, that you don't necessarily want to go into the restaurant industry or you can learn, oh, I really don't like working in a kitchen compared to working in the front with people. Like you just kind of learn basic things like that to help guide you where you want to go, really. Especially like if you're in the hospitality industry, you can choose to go towards food and beverage or not, maybe, kind of after this class. So this is, uh, this is going to be one of my last questions, and this is a little bit more of a philosophical take on the whole thing, but I, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, because I, I have my own opinion, what do you think food means to students? Hmm. I think to, to students, one of the biggest things is affordability, but then after that, um, I think the biggest difference between Aspen Girl and the rest of the places in the LSC is it's the only, uh, it's like the only non-fast food other than the Skeller, but it's also like table service, so kind of like if you're feeling something different that day, it's a different experience. Um, but food in general, I just think it's important to be affordable and just a good food that student will eat over and over again. Yeah, I, I would second that. Um, I would just say, you know, I look back to my college days and just something that, that I can afford that is delicious and that I would come back and eat again and again and again. Right on. And so an Aspen Grill may be an opportunity for students to get a chance to have some good sit-down dining and, uh, and, and at least in my opinion, I don't think students do that a lot. I don't think there's a lot of times when students can go out to restaurants and sit down and, because affordability is such a big issue. And then with students, also convenience and, you know, busy schedules. So having something, you know, in the, in the school that's a, a sit-down restaurant that students, students run and students go to, um, do you think that creates uh, a, a, a space for students that wasn't there? 
Yeah, I definitely see students sitting at the bar of our restaurant um, doing their homework, too. Um, some of the students are students that have taken the class in the past, you know, so they you know, know the restaurant's there and they're comfortable sitting there, but definitely anyone could come in and do their homework there as well. And where specifically in the LSC is Aspen Grill located? Um, so we're on the, the third floor, the top floor of the Lori Student Center on the northwest corner. Basically, um, the easiest way to describe it is right above the bookstore. Gotcha. All right. And so if students wanted to get more information on how to RSVP or look more into Aspen Grill, where would they find that information? Yeah. Um, so we're on open table um, for our reservation system. So um, just go to that and uh, search search us, you'll find us, and again, you can go to the uh, Lori Student Center website, um, lsc.colostate.edu, and um, you'll see us right there under the dining tab, and you can make a reservation there, and um, our phone number's there, um, so yeah. Awesome. Well, Professor Olson Marina, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but after the break, we're going to be back with a discussion about the um, increase in teacher salaries, and then we're going to have our phone interview with Tom from the Artisan Fair and Bazaar. So if that sounds interesting to you, stick around. We're on the RMR here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Maximus Hunter. And I'm Ren Wadsworth. And we just heard from some uh, representatives from the Aspen Grill about their organization in the LSC and what it means to students. And right now we're going to do a little bit of a roundtable about a tax that's going to benefit some schools in Poudre District. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. We got all that. And then coming up after that, we're going to be talking with Tom from the Artisan Fair and Bazaar. Uh, after that, we're going to do a campus newscast, and if we have time, we're going to talk a little bit about Star Wars, maybe. Who doesn't love talking about Star Wars? I love talking about Star Wars. All right, but first, we're going to be talking about the school tax, uh, the, the, the tax and the <laughs> salary benefits. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you can probably explain this much cleaner than I apparently can, but the, <laughs> from my understanding of it, my, my bare understanding of it, the tax is uh, to people in the Pooter School District, and what it does is it actually raises the starting salary of teachers by $4,000? Um, yeah, so that's part of it. So actually what it is is it's a property tax that was approved by Colorado City Council members. Um, uh, actually, sorry, my mistake. So uh, it was approved by 14 voters in the school districts on Tuesday and so it's going to be property taxes and so what this means is that there's going to be a couple projects that are going to be worked on so first of those is going to be the four thousand dollar salary increase for first year students which Max was talking about. For first year teachers? Oh yeah yes for first year teachers um, and then in Greeley Evans District 6 leaders will rebuild a crumbling high school and expand a K through 8 school that's uh, wildly overcrowded and then Pueblo District 60 officials will rebuild two district high schools, both of which have major foundation damage. So it's not just Poudre Valley, it sounds like. Um, it sounds like it's a couple different high schools Poudre across Pueblo. Yeah, Colorado, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, very interesting, first of all, that um, it's a property tax, so it's not a, it's not a tax that will affect everyone, but it will affect property owners. 
Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's probably better than a, a tax that hits the general populace, but also I'm sure property owners might disagree. But. Yeah, well, it actually is pretty interesting because this bill was passed in two communities that are pretty historically tax adverse. So that's Greeley and Pueblo. They're pretty um, negative towards taxes. So for this to pass is actually kind of a huge deal. And it does, like I said before, it makes a huge impact on the community. A lot of these schools are crumbling to the ground and they're too overcrowded and they're just not in great condition. So, so they really needed this. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, I think raising teacher salaries, especially starting teacher salaries, uh, is going to help motivate more people to be teachers. And I, I know that uh, pay for teachers is has often been a point of contention in a lot of different institutions, be it, you know, for uh, elementary school, K through 8, uh, high schools, colleges, universities. I mean, uh, when I went to when I went to school in Chicago at Columbia College Chicago, there was a massive teacher strike involving Columbia and DePaul. Um, and that really threw things out of whack. You know, people couldn't make it to class, um, and classes were canceled, and it matters. You need teachers. Teachers are an important part of our society, and so if they think they don't get paid enough, that has impacts. And so this is, it's, it, it's a victory for teachers is uh, something you don't hear about too often, but I think it's pretty cool. Well, it's an interesting thought that this is in response to the teacher strikes and a lot of students not wanting to go into the field of teaching because it is such a low-paying profession that maybe this is in response and saying like, oh no, you'll, you're getting like this bonus of $4,000, which is nice and it blankets and it cushions that teachers don't get paid a lot. However, it is only for first-year teachers um, and not for teachers as a whole. So I could see how this would be very frustrating to teachers who've worked for maybe 30 years and they're sure, getting paid. And they've already got tenure, and so that's not going to change. Right. Well, and, then, and that's true also if you're working on something from the bottom up like that. You're not necessarily actually raising the upper limit of what teacher pay could be. You're just kind of lowering the, uh, the baseline, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But for a more comprehensive you know, restructuring of how we were... So if we were to, you know, fix how we pay teachers, we would, uh, the upper limit would need to be looked at too. And we need to be, you know, for tenured professors, what happens if you've been a professor for 30 years and, you know, you're st not making the right kind of money? How, how do you incentivize a tenured professor to stay if money's a problem? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting, and I definitely think it's in the right direction, specifically just that 4000 increase. Um, the rest of it, I think, obviously, is for the benefit of the community, and that's not very disputable that those schools needed to be fixed. But that $4,000 increase is an interesting, debatable point that it's like, well, yes, it's great, but are the incentives good? Are they going to benefit teachers in the long run? Is it just going to... Does it raise that upper limit or does it just... Is it that just going to encourage students higher? to go into teaching just for that increase? Is it... I don't know. That's not such a... It's not a huge not increase. A bad thing. No, but... All right. I think uh, it's about time for us to go on a break. But once we come back from the break, we are going to have a phone interview with Tom from the Artisan Fair and Bazaar. So if you have any questions for Tom, text him in at 970-491-5278. That's 970-491-5278. Questions about the Artisan Fair and Bazaar. We'll be right back here on the Rocky Mountain Review. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. All right, and we are back with the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Max Hunter, 
And and I'm Ren Wadsworth. And we, we are here with uh, Tim. Tom. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Tom Miles with the Artisan Fair and Bazaar, if you want to say hi. Hi there. Hey, Tom. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're just going to dive right in here. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, how are you involved with the Lutheran Church and the fair? Yeah, uh, I'm uh, uh, the parish administrator at St. John's Lutheran Church. We're a, a church just a few blocks uh, east of campus uh, on Elizabeth Street. Um, we uh, have been hosting an artisan fair and bazaar here for, I guess this will be our fourth year, and uh, I'm part of the the staff here and part of the crew that helps uh, put that all together. Right on. So uh, what is the Artisan Fair and Bazaar? Uh, we do this fundraiser every year as a way to raise money for our uh, mission work that uh, St. John's does here, uh, kind of outreach work that we do uh, in the community and uh, internationally. Um, we have the uh, fair to uh, bring in artists and uh, craftspeople from around the area and uh, hopefully put them together with a, uh, a buying crowd to uh, uh, to sell some of their crafts and uh, uh, artistic works uh, at the uh, uh, throughout the course of the next couple of days. Right on. Um and what is the bizarre part of the Artisan Fair Bazaar? <laughs> well, when we first put this together, we were trying to find a name that covered the range of people who would call themselves craftspeople and people who would call themselves artists, and we didn't want to alienate anyone along that uh, spectrum. So we have uh, an array of things. I guess the bazaar might be more things like our bake sale that we have here, silent auction, but we also sell quilts. Uh, we have a number of items that we've collected in our, uh, that the church has collected in our trips uh, around the world. Uh, sewing, uh, uh, the, all those sort of items. And then we have the artist side, which is maybe more things like the fine arts. Uh, um, uh, the, I'm trying to think, uh, jewelry. We have uh, uh, people who are have photos and uh, and framed items, that, that sort of thing. So trying to incorporate all of that. So the church collects items that it uh, then gives back to the community through the bazaar. Does it uh, collect those items through mission work? Uh, yeah, we've done a number of, uh, of work trips uh, with the church over the years. Our first was back in 2012. We had a group of about 20 that went to Haiti and worked there for about a week, uh, a week with a, a couple or local organizations. And since then, we've had uh, groups uh, or individuals go to Peru, Puerto Rico, uh, um, uh, several Eastern Africa countries, Tanzania, Uganda, Kenya, Madagascar, uh, so we've kind of collected uh, items from all of those various uh, uh, excursions and uh, and brought them back. So we have a, a small collection of uh, items that we're selling just uh, as the church uh, uh, well, with that sort of thing. Uh, what Could you give some examples of some of these items? Oh, sure. We have... Uh, a number of uh, handmade purses and jewelry from Haiti uh, in Peru. Uh, the group that was there, we um, we the, one of the last days of the trip, uh, we had a bunch of craftspeople from uh, up and down the river we were working on uh, the Ukiyala River uh, come and offer items, and so we got some uh, uh, hand sewn or uh, hand stitched uh, blankets uh, and some hand carved uh, items. Um, uh, 
from Tanzania, Uganda. I think there are some other uh, other items there as far as uh, like hand hand sewn items, some jewelry, uh, some other unique uh, finds that we have from that. And how do you choose which items you decide to sell at the fair? Uh, that has really just been up to uh, up to the uh, groups that are out. We try and uh, send them with a, a little money to bring things back uh, for that. Um, but then the the rest of the vendors at the fair are all uh, juried. So we have uh, a number of applications that come in early in the year, and uh, the twenty six craftspeople that we have uh, here are all juried. And uh, we just try to find a selection of uh, different uh, items. Uh, different uh, perspectives, different uh, uh, crafts and uh, artistic works, so we so people coming in uh, to shop can really find. Uh, they're just finding all jewelry or all uh, who knows what, but they're getting a, a good selection of uh, of what's available around the community here in Fort Collins. So let's talk about the fair itself. Uh, what does it actually like look like? Is it indoor, outdoor? It is indoor. We have two, uh, two, well, one large room, one slightly smaller room. Uh, you'll have vendors kind of arrayed all around the room. So you walk down the aisle. You'll come in the door, walk by our uh, our bake sale full of uh, all sorts of uh, cookies and other goodies, uh, and then we have uh, several aisles full of uh, vendors offering their uh, their creations. It's really quite uh, quite fun. It's almost like going to an art show or something like that, seeing all these things arrayed out in front of you. So how big is the event itself? Uh, we are two days, uh, tomorrow and Saturday, uh, all throughout the day. I think 9 o'clock to 4 o'clock tomorrow, 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock Saturday. Um, we have uh, 26 vendors, so they fill up those two spaces uh, and expect quite a few visitors. We usually get, uh, uh, especially in the mornings, Friday and Saturday, get quite a few people coming through uh, doing some shopping. Let's talk about that bake sale. Yes. Uh, who makes the <laughs> yeah? Who makes the food? Uh, our congregation members, for the most part. Uh, so it's all homemade uh, cookies and cakes and uh, pies and uh, other items. We also uh, had a big group in today making kraut burgers. So mm-hmm. we'll be selling those uh, uh, throughout the, the days of the fair as well. So another event I know you guys have at the fair and bazaar is silent auctions. What items are going to be in the silent auctions? It's uh, it's chock full of things. Uh, we have uh, donations that have come in from uh, local companies like The Cupboard, Rally King Brewing, uh, Skin Deep Spa, Walrus Ice Cream, uh, Bammy's Gourmet Cookie Dough. Uh, so a real, uh, and then also as well as some of our vendors have donated items uh, to be offered. Um, we also get some other donations either from congregation members or uh, uh, or just other things that we have collected. So gift cards. Uh, uh, gift baskets, uh, some unique artwork, uh, or uh, I think we have a, uh, a lawn ornament, a unique handcrafted lawn ornament, and some other items like that as well. So since we're talking so much about food, I heard that there was going to be concessions all throughout the day at uh, the Fair and Bazaar. Will right. those concessions be local, or will they be global, or will they just be... Um, Normal concession stands. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, we we uh, just make all of that stuff uh, in house here, so it's all items that uh, that we have uh, either purchased or, or made here. So the selection I wouldn't call too international in flavor, but uh, there's some tasty sandwiches and uh, barbecue chicken sandwich and, and some other things like that that uh, that should be good for anybody coming in, whether it's breakfast or lunch that you need tomorrow. Awesome. So let's talk about the proceeds for the event. So. 
from the silent auction, the bake sale, and the concessions, that's all going to mission, right? Yeah, right. As well as all the proceeds that the the uh, from the fees that the vendors pay to uh, to be here for the two days of the of the uh, bazaar, um, it all goes to our St. John's mission work. And like I said, we send out uh, teams. We try to do it annually. We're looking at to one or maybe even two, uh, sending out two one or two groups next uh, this coming year, one to Puerto Rico, and uh, hoping to do a, a small team to Tanzania sometime in the fall. And we use uh, the funds to. Uh, to pay for the the uh, cost of those trips, our uh, the people who participate, members who participate, pay their own airfare. But then we try and cover the rest of the uh, the time that they're working there in these various places. And what kind of uh, what kind of work does mission work involve for those who may not know? Uh, depends on the trip. Most of the Africa trips, uh, we have a uh, member here uh, who does uh, who is a nurse, and uh, so she has been out uh, and uh, they've. And participated in some uh, medical mission work, so they do uh, daily clinics while they're there. Um, those of us who aren't quite that specialized uh, also get in on it, though. We uh, have done uh, lots of painting projects, building projects. In Peru, it was helping to build a community center in a, uh, a remote uh, a village uh, on the Ukiel River. Uh, in uh, Haiti, we worked with a, an organization there that uh, helps to train up um, uh, the, the, uh, some uh, local people and, and give them some uh, real um, job skills, so a bakery, uh, a, uh, a jewelry making, that sort of thing. So we just helped in their facilities and helped some of their people uh, there with uh, construction work, uh, cleanup, painting, that sort of thing, things that, uh, that kind of help to relieve the, uh, the, the work that, uh, so they can focus more on what they, what they do, what they specialize in. So it sounds like this is a pretty big event. How long does it take you guys to set up and get everything together? Well, um, as far as setting up, it's it's been all of this week, but uh, getting everything together, uh, our uh, volunteer team starts meeting in uh, January, if not uh, even earlier than that. Uh, the vendors like of uh, long advance notice, so I think by April or May we have most of the jurying done and have the vendors selected, uh, and then we're promoting it uh, through the fall and uh, getting everything set up and ready to go this week. Awesome. And if there's anything, is there any way uh, people can find out more information about the Artisan Fair and Bazaar? Absolutely. Uh, there's information at the St. John's website. I think that's probably the best place to go. It's stjohnsfc.org. That's St. John's with an S. FC is in Fort Collins.org. And uh, we have information right on the front page as well as more information about all the, the work that we have done uh, uh, locally and around the world uh, there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for taking the time to talk to us today. I appreciate the time. Yeah, we really appreciate meeting with you. All right, we are going to uh, go on a quick break, but after the break, we will come right back with a um, oh, with campus news with, with you. me. Yeah. yeah. Hey. How did you forget that? <laughs> uh, I was just I, I don't know how I took could forget that. <laughs> I was really interested in the artisan fair. Yeah. Slipped so we're gonna do campus news with Max, and then right after that, we're gonna close out our show how we usually do with nationals and weather. So yeah. stay tuned for both of those things right after the break. And we're back with the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth. And I'm Maximus Hunter. Uh, we just heard from uh, Tom with the Artisan 
fair and bizarre. And <laughs> I love that word bizarre. Yeah, I like how it's spelled too. It's uh, you won't be able to see it obviously because you're uh, listening to the radio. But it was B A Z, right? Yeah, B A Z A A R. I just like that spelling. If I were to have another dog, that'd probably be its name. I think that's a cool name. (laughs) I knew someone actually named Bizarre when I lived in Chicago. No way. Yeah, she was. uh, Was she bizarre? She was bizarre. Well, there you go. She fit her name. Yeah. Weirdest name person I know is Mystery Skeleton. That's the coolest that's, name yeah, ever. Yeah, not like a stage name. That's Mystery her birth name. Skeleton. Yeah, not even. Yeah, so that's cool. super cool. All right. Are you ready, Max? I'm ready for my campus newscast. Yeah. Well, I think we're all ready. I as hope Mystery well. Skeleton is listening. <laughs> um, all right. Hello, my name is Maximus Hunter, and this is your campus news for Thursday, November seventh, two thousand nineteen. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review here on ninety point five KCSU, Fort Collins. Colorado State University Provost and Executive Vice President Rick Miranda has announced he will be stepping down from his role after 10 years at Colorado State. Miranda joined as an assistant professor of mathematics in 1982. In 1997, he was named chair of the mathematics department. In 2002, he was made dean of the College of Natural Sciences, and in 2009, former Colorado State President Tony Frank named Miranda the interim provost. The next year, he was given the position permanently. The role of provost and executive vice president meant that Rick Miranda was the highest-ranking administrator for Colorado State University besides our president. Miranda's legacy will not soon be forgotten. In his 10 years as provost, Miranda focused on promoting student success. He helped graduation rates reach up to 70.9% and helped create the Colorado State University Tuition Assistance Grant. CSU President Joyce McConnell has announced a a national search to determine his replacement. Colorado State University won the Sherman Miller Real Estate Case Competition. The competition pits underground real estate programs from Colorado colleges against each other in an effort to make the best investor pitch. Students analyze real-world developments and advise investors on whether or not the property is worth purchasing. The CSU team, comprising of seniors Matt Gasser and Will Denton, junior Scott LaHeron, and sophomore Nicholas Amarin, won this year with a for a $15,000 check. The group stood out by having two less people than is typical for the competition and by providing plenty of supplemental information. They brought in research on the real-world tenants' bond ratings as well as Federal Reserve projections to strengthen their case. In the end, the team walked away not only with $1,500, but with newfound friendships. Matt Gasser feels, quote, it's pretty rare that you have a group of four that were just randomly selected and works as well together as we did. Colorado State University is currently hosting its second annual Water in the West Symposium. The symposium is sold out and taking place at the Gaylord Rockies Resort and Convention Center. Most attendees are stakeholders in the future of water, be it business or agricultural. The symposium features 30 speakers, including the Colorado Commissioner of Agriculture, Kate Greenberg, and Walter Robb, founder of Stonewall Robb Advisors. The symposium comes alongside the opening of a water research center called the Water Building in Colorado State University's upcoming campus in the National Western Center, and that's going to be opening in North Denver in two years. The National Institute of Health, or NIH, have given Colorado State University two grants worth over $3 million to researchers studying Down syndrome in infants and children. The first grant gives $2.9 million to a study measuring cognitive function in children's ages 2 through 8 with Down syndrome. The other grant for half a million dollars 
goes to a study that's working to identify early indications of attention difficulties for 75 children with Down syndrome that were previously measured as infants. Uh, the first study focuses on measuring uh, executive function in children with Down syndrome. An executive function is a measurement of overall planning and problem-solving skills. Down syndrome is the most common type of neurogenetic syndrome that impacts developmental disability and is caused by an abnormality in the 21st chromosome. With your campus news, I'm Maximus Hunter. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review here in 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. Well, thanks, Max. No problem. So you just heard, once again, some campus news with Maximus Hunter. And we're going to take a quick break, but after that, we're going to close out our show with a little bit of national news and a lot of weather for this upcoming week and weekend. So stay tuned for that. Um, right. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth. And I'm Maximus Hunter. Um, you just heard from Tom from the Artisan uh, Fair and Bazaar, and then after that, I did some campus news, and now we're going to jump right into our national days, hosted by our very own Ren Wadsworth. Heck yeah, we are. And unfortunately, we don't have time today for our Star Wars roundtable about Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher, but we are going to talk about that a little bit on Tuesday. What else are we going to talk about on Tuesday, Max? Yeah, so next week, we've got some pretty interesting content coming up. We're going to have people from both the Gregory, Gregory Alicar Museum and the Fort Collins Museum of Art coming in and talking about all kinds of exhibits that are going to be going on over the next little while. Um, I know that we've got, there's uh, exhibits about the moon, there's exhibits about uh, Native American art, there's exhibits about, um, I believe, Inuit art. Uh, there's lots of interesting stuff coming on. We'll have uh, both, we'll have people from both the Gregory Alicare Museum and the Museum of Art in Fort Collins on the show next week. We will also, uh, the week after next, we're going to be talking to Michelle Warren, who is running for Colorado Senate, or well, for a Senate, the Colorado seat in the federal Senate in 2020. And uh, if she wins, she'd be the first woman to ever sit in Colorado's seat for the Senate. So we're very excited to be talking to her. That's coming up in two weeks. So uh, if you're interested in listening to any of that, um, you can find it on our show uh, every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. or at our website, kcsufm.com. Under the tab Rocky Mountain Review, we have a digital archive of every show we ever do. And uh, you can find anything if you, you know, miss something you thought sounded interesting or just want to listen to our show because you like the sound of our voices, um, you can check it out there. That's kccufm.com. Um, and now, Ren, the, uh, are you ready for I the am. National Days? Yeah, so stay tuned for all of that coming up. But first, a little bit of national news. So today is November 7th, and that means it's National Bittersweet Almonds with Chocolate Day. Yum. Yeah. Combining nuts and fruit with chocolate is one of the healthiest ways to consume chocolate. There are many recorded health benefits of eating small portions of bittersweet chocolate daily, and the added almonds adds another healthy layer on top of that. Bittersweet chocolate is chocolate liqueur that is combined with cocoa butter, sugar, and vanilla. Interestingly enough, bittersweet chocolate is also interchangeable with semi-sweet chocolate when baking. Hmm. And Didn't know that. that's all the national news I have for you guys today. However, oh. it feels like there's something in the air that we just have to address today. Oh. Do you know what was, it is? I, I have a theory. Is it? What is it? The weather? Ooh, it is the <laughs> weather. Oh, man. That's something in the air. That's a, I like that. We're going to have to keep keep using that. Um, 
Yeah, it's time for the weather. Heck yeah. Woo! Today was pretty chilly until the sun came out, kind of. But tomorrow it's going to be a lot nicer, okay? Temperatures are going to rise over 20 degrees to a high of 64. It's like it was summer again. You know, get your bathing suit, get your suntan oil. Maybe don't do all that because it's still November, but... <laughs> It, it is going to be 64 degrees tomorrow. Hopefully, fingers crossed, that's the high. As you move further into your weekend, those temperatures are going to keep rising to 70 degrees. But don't expect those warm temperatures to last because on Sunday it's going to drop over 10 degrees. And there's a slight chance of snow. So get your tan now while you can, I guess. Put your ice cubes in your toilet and hope for a snow day. Listeners, text in. Do you know <laughs> what that means? Because I still... I know what it means now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Moving into Monday, the temperatures are going to drop even further to 33 degrees. And that chance of snow is rising even higher. So savor that 70-degree weather. Go outside, take your dog on a walk, do something fun, because it is going to hit 33 degrees on Monday. Um, if you're wondering what Tuesday is going to be like, well, you're going to have to tune in on Tuesday, I think. I'm not just going to tell you that for free. <laughs> well, you do tell it to us for free. I do. I suppose I do all this they don't no one no one pays to this. <laughs> All right. Well, unfortunately, it sounds like that is the end of our show. Oh. So if you want to hear any of the stuff we were uh talking about today, that's going to come up on Tuesday. Make sure you tune in next Tuesday for that. But for now, we do have to end our show how we usually do with thanking all of the amazing people who made it possible, starting off with Damien Castillo. Did he make the song? Why, yes, he did. Wow. And all the other songs on our show today that all of you listeners got to hear and enjoy oh yes so we got to thank damien uh we got to thank all of our wonderful guests that would be um let's see we had a lot of guests today yeah uh, we did tom from the artisan fair um marina yeah marina and john and john or josh josh, josh. oh no <laughs> josh olson we have to th thank you so much everyone for coming on the show we really appreciate having you um it's always great to have such wonderful and varied guests it's we have to thank fun. We have to thank everyone at KCSU, specifically uh, Julia Battelis, Hannah Copeland, I Isaiah Reyes, Peter Walk, Raven Culler, Hunter Sinclair, and Asher Korn. Just everybody at KCSU makes everyone. it wonderful. And Monty, Desiree, Taylor. Yeah. We, the list is endless. Dixon, and Nick, We want Matt, to thank everyone. Everybody. And um, we have to have a special thank you to Coda Babcock, who has been our little shadow in the studio today. Coda Babcock. Thank you. The whole time. And Coda's been running the board for us today, which we really appreciate. Yes, um, I couldn't do this without you, Ren. Uh, I love all the great story sourcing you do, and you come with great questions, and you have such a wonderful radio presence. Aw, and I couldn't thank you enough, Max. You make every day at my job a delight, and I love oh. coming in here and working with you. Thanks, that's really nice. And of course, we have to thank you, dear, dear listener. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next time. time.